Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today on America Can We Talk, we're going to talk about the top three Patriot agenda items. Take notes. Number two, Jason Isaac of the Texas Public Policy Foundation joins me to talk about why is Texas powerless today? Trump not guilty, but why? And the GOP's Trump predicament. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Can We Talk to today's first five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Clearly, you can tell we're not doing this show in the studio. We are home today. I'm at my home studio. Great thanks to Matt Stoker, my producer, who's at his home studio, making things work in Texas as we are under a, we had a big storm here, which is why we missed the show yesterday. Uh, many buildings are powerless. We are blessed to have power in my home, and I guess in Matt's home too, but our studio doesn't have power. So we're, we're making do, and we're gonna find out in the next segment why we don't have power or enough power here in Texas, but for the first five today, I talk to so many people. I am on conference calls. I get emails from people saying, what can I do? What should I do? We've got to do something. They're so concerned about America and what we do going forward, given our uh, present predicament. So I want to just say, I think these are our three, the Patriots top priorities. One is do everything we can think of to stop the passage in Congress of HR1. That is the House bill. That is the bill the Democrats have already brought. They brought last time, in, uh, in fact, in 2019. The gist of it is it would completely federalize elections. It would take over election law in all 50 states. And in particular, it would put in place in many, many states, in every state, the kind of procedures that have allowed election fraud to explode in California and other places. It contains items like insisting upon same-day registration, insisting on registration online, uh, all sorts of things that, that target uh, any of the election integrity provisions that many states have put in. It is a, what I've been calling in my show, is a Voter Fraud Enablement Act but it's not even just enablement, it's the Voter Fraud Mandate Act. It is set up to simply force states to put in place the policies that have allowed election fraud and vote fraud, those are two different things, allow that kind of fraud to flourish. So the number one job of Patriots is, and parallel to that, to the fight HR1 in every way you can, and we'll talk about how to do that uh, many, many times on this show, parallel is within every state, especially the red states where we have a red majority, Republican majority, is to push strengthened election integrity legislation. All sorts of good ideas on the, on the ground in Texas. We talked with Senator Bob Hall a few weeks ago. We'll have other people on talking about this, but if you, if you want to protect America's future, work in Congress, write your congressman, your senator, put pressure on them. Don't you dare allow HR1 to pass spread word about it, even in Democrat representative districts, that this is essentially a steal. It's not just a steal of a particular bill, it's a steal of America's very election process. That is goal number one for Patriots. Goal number two is to stop the amnesty bill. There is a bill the Democrats are launching forth in Washington, uh, essentially trying to bring amnesty for, they keep saying 11 million, uh, many very reasonable conservative estimates go as high as 25 million, but it is simply a pathway to citizenship for people who have who entered America illegally, have no right, a legal right to be here. And it's a different thing than giving them a pathway to some legal status here. That would be a different question. It's not pathway to legal status. It is pathway to citizenship. And it is a, a you know, Democrat Party dream of creating a massive new uh, Democrat vote base. Um, I will never surrender, by the way, that any that you know, demographics is destiny, that we can't persuade people of every background to embrace conservative constitutional principles. 
But the Democrats aren't pushing this because they think that's going to bring a, a host of new voters who will, will vote some Republican, some Democrat as a pure uh, vote um, harvesting project. This amnesty bill is uh, fighting that. And then third, I want to mention something. I was on a lengthy conference call over the weekend with some mostly people in Washington strategizing about well, what do we do moving forward in America, uh, given all the challenges we face. And one um, idea that was being talked about, and we're going to have Sam Faddis on the show. Most of you know his name because I've mentioned him. He's a great writer. He'll be joining us on Thursday talking about the idea that if you want to get involved in moving things and changing things, besides fighting HR1, get your own election integrity laws in place, the third item is we need to work to find good candidates. And this is not just at the congressional level. I don't mean just find someone to run for Congress if you have a um, someone representing you who you don't think represents your values um, and conservative values, whether they're Republican or Democrat. It's bigger than that. It's finding people to fill precinct chair roles in every county. Uh, I think in America, in every county, uh, there are precinct chairs whose job it is to inform their neighbors they're responsible for a relatively small little geographic area can be in touch with their neighbors, make sure they know when election days are coming up, make sure they know how important it is to vote, make sure they understand what's on the ballot, who's on the ballot. So finding precinct chairs, trade it out, get rid of Republican uh, precinct, uh, not just precinct chairs, but actual county party chairs. Remove county party chairs who are not up for the fight, who do not understand the challenges facing America. Get those people out of office. Identify people who run for school board, for city council, for your county government, get involved now because if you wait till the fall of next year when elections are looming and then look around and say, gee, I don't really like any of these candidates that much, it's far too late. There is a huge role to play for every single person who loves this country to work hard, to identify quality candidates, get involved, go to your, your meetings for your county party chair, your, your county party, show up, say, look, we need to replace so-and-so, here's why, here's a great candidate. Look for candidates, cultivate them, work with them, be part of the team. And it takes just it takes an enormous effort to get especially someone who's not an incumbent to get someone who's not an incumbent elected. It means it requires you and everyone involved in the process to introduce this person to your circles, uh, to bring them to meetings, to walk around your neighborhood, knock on doors. Winning elections takes hard work. And too often in the past, people on the right side of the aisle have left that job to the professionals, to the party, to the incumbents. And this is time, if there ever was a time for the grassroots to be motivated and be involved, it's now. Get involved, finding candidates, suggesting them, go to candidate forums, question those candidates, point out when they're saying things that aren't right. I was hearing just one little story and to wrap up the first five and this, this idea that it's incumbent on it's vital for the grassroots to get involved. So I was hearing this story about in Pennsylvania a few years ago, even with a Republican majority in the legislature, they passed a bill, I've forgotten the bill number, but the gist of the bill was, said it was a mail-in, a no excuse mail-in ballot. And what that meant was, you don't need any excuse to justify the use of a mail-in ballot that anyone can request a mail-in ballot. You don't have to be like in other states because of, of some disability or any other excuse, reason, justification. Basically, no excuse needed. You can get a mail-in ballot. And that bill proved disastrous in Pennsylvania. Disastrous. And so the mail-in ballot effort was one of the main reasons so many people distrust the outcome of the 2020 elections. So in Pennsylvania, to wrap up this story in today's first five, a horrendous bill, everyone in Pennsylvania paying attention can see what happened, which is it was used to exploit, it was used to end up allowing the, uh, the, in my view, theft of that election and in the view of many Republican legislators. But now we're through that, the legislature's in session, you know, there's a, the ability to say, okay, this is a bad bill, we got to repeal that, we should pull back and encourage in-person voting, we should make mail-in ballots only available for those with a specific need. Everyone understands the need to do that. But the message from on high in Pennsylvania, from the Republican party, we have to learn to live with it.
We have to learn to live with it. These kind of people need to be out. These people need to understand we are in this country hanging on for dear life to the founding freedoms of America. And it takes fighters, it takes bold people to say, no, actually, Mr. GOP, state rep and state senator, whoever else you are, we don't have to just deal with it. We don't have to just live with it. We are here to fight for fair elections. And we're here to insist that you can make hard decisions. We understand the media is going to attack you and, and claim that any uh, d desire or any change in this law is somehow going to be cast in ugly terms by your political opponents. It doesn't matter. Get in the fight. If you want to hold on to this country, if you want to help America steer back on track to the track that America is supposed to be on to the founding ideas, get involved now. Fight amnesty. Fight HR1 find good candidates, and get involved. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. I'm so happy. I reached out relatively late in time to see if he was available, and it turns out he was, uh, which is a great, great thing for this show. Uh, we have Jason Isaac joining us, and he's with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which uh, we've had many guests on the show from that organization. Texas Public Policy Foundation, based in Austin, Texas, um, is a is the premier state think tank in the country. And honestly, it's not just me saying that. Whenever they have organizational meetings of the conservative think tanks in the country, uh, TPPF is just always stellar. It is uh, filled with extremely competent, serious, thoughtful people. Um, and the one person we're talking to today is Jason Isaacs. Isaac, excuse me, singular Isaac, and he is uh, heading up their group. Um, and actually, I can't remember the name of the uh, particular group within TPPF, but I'm let him tell you about it. But it has to do with energy. And the reason I have him on is the reason that we're, I'm sitting here in my home studio today instead of in our normal, beautiful studio. And that is because Texas doesn't have enough power right now. We had a huge uh, storm. We have another snowstorm coming tonight in the area where I live in Dallas, Texas. And our power grid has not exactly met the need. We have rolling blackouts. I'm grateful to say, obviously, we are not experiencing that this time. We have power. We have rolling blackouts. We have, uh, you know, wind and solar power investments having made that seem not to have been worth it right now. So I want to first of all welcome Jason Isaac to the show. Hi, Jason. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Glad you're here. And I'm just going to open up with my question. Why is Texas a uh, little plan or is it why is Texas powerless? How could we be in this position in Texas? We are the premier or among the premier producers of oil, of natural gas. We're energy producers. We're energy abundant. How could Texas be struggling in this storm? Well, it's really heartbreaking. We've written for the last couple of years about issues in Germany where the, the Germans have decided they're going to go 100% renewable. And what's happened is the energy costs have skyrocketed. They're importing natural gas from the Russians. They're mowing down forests now to get the coal, and they're having to subsidize coal and natural gas because it just isn't working. Uh, and what we've written about is that freezing deaths have been on the rise in these Eastern European countries that are trying to virtue signal to the self-righteous elites uh, that it's, it's, they're going to go 100% renewable because of the catastrophic climate crisis that we're all living wonderfully through with deaths down 98.9% from weather-related events over the last 100 years. Man has become more resilient as we have access to affordable, reliable energy. And that's the story we tell at the Life Powered Project at Texas Public Policy Foundation, is we make that connection between access to energy, affordable, reliable energy, and human flourishing. Uh, and, and so it's really unprecedented that we're seeing this happen in Texas of all places. But you've had some market interruption that's become very predominant over the last 10 years and it's incentives. Uh, it, it started 40 years ago with incentives for wind. Hey, they just need a little prop up to help them get going. And Congress just extended investment tax credits, production tax credits through the end of this year and the end of next year. And then on top of that, the state also gives them millions of dollars in subsidies and exemptions of property taxes, which increases our burdens for those of us that are actually paying property taxes. Millions and millions of dollars and a lot of it to foreign controlled and based companies. And those investments distorted the market. We've seen an incredible growth of unreliables, wind and solar over the last four to five years. And we've seen uh, an unfortunate distortion where we've seen our thermal generation, nuclear, natural gas, and coal, 
shut down 3,000 megawatts of power, which would be an incredible help to our grid right now, in addition of 20,000 megawatts of wind and solar over the last four to five years. It's appalling that it's happening here, but this is what happening happens when you have market distortions like subsidies that government has provided and, and just given them overwhelmingly to unreliable energy. Is the reason these uh, kind of uh, benefits are given, is it, um, I don't know if you use the term virtue signal, but is it kind of because of pressure of the left to continue to push these things when they are not actually capable of meeting our energy needs? Is, is it political or is it is it actually a, just a didn't follow through what they thought would be a reasonable outcome from it? Oh, oh, it's absolutely political. It's about controlling everything we do in our lives. It's about paving the pathway to socialism uh, because next thing, and I, I mentioned this two years ago, I said electricity will become a right and the left will co-opt that and say that everyone is due electricity and they'll use it as an opportunity to have a universal electric system uh, like you talked about elections uh, we've talked about health care uh, this is just a pathway to socialism where they the leftists want the government to control everything because they think they know what's best for us when free markets liberty and individual responsibility work best uh, and we've proven that time and time again here in texas but unfortunately uh, these self-righteous coastal elites have made their way in and pressured our political leaders to support subsidies for this unreliable energy. Uh, and then they're going to say, oh, there's going to be enough battery storage eventually. It's going to be about five or six hundred years before we have enough batteries to meet today's demands. You know, it's an interesting thing. People think across the country. I mean, I grew up in New York and I lived in California many years, practiced law there. People think of Texas as this just bastion of conservatives and maybe East Coast elites get pushed around, maybe Californians get pushed around, but man, Texas, and, and we do uh, you know, have a conservative majority still in Texas in the legislature, a, a kind of a free market oriented majority. So what's it gonna take? Is this, is this disaster we're experiencing right now in Texas? Is this, a, a, I mean, I had the kind of perverse thought, maybe it is well-timed, this, this pretty much unprecedented ice and snowstorm and more where we live in, in Dallas, more coming today. Um, and maybe a wake up call to legislators to, to say, you know, we've got to make a shift here because we don't have, and, and the other, so that's one thing, isn't this a, almost a good thing as as our, we're in session right now? And then also, uh, what is the status of our electric grid? Isn't there a lot of concern electric grid isn't quite as where it should be? Yeah, let's, I'll talk about the timing. And unfortunately, it is good timing right now. Uh, I had predicted this would happen in last August had it not been for the COVID pandemic and the economy essentially being shut down. We would not have had enough electricity to meet demands in a roaring economy that we're used to here in Texas. Uh, I wasn't anticipating it happening in cold snap in February, but that's where we are today. And again, freezing temperatures are much more harmful than warming temperatures. Uh, and that's a big concern. And, and as an elected official, a former elected official, I would I was one of these people that was out there touting, oh, look, Texas is, a, is the nation's leader in wind generation. I had no idea the information that I have now. And being a world leader in installed capacity is much uh, different than being a world leader in generating electricity. And during these awful times, wind has been generating about two and a half percent of its installed capacity, but we're subsidizing a hundred percent of it. And so our elected leaders have got to wake up and make some record realizations uh, that unreliable energy doesn't need to be on our grid. We've called for at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, one of our legislative priorities relating to grid reliability is that if you're going to put unreliables on the grid, then you've either got to provide reliable, dispatchable electricity or contract with someone who can. So that our planners at the Electric Reliability Council of Texas uh, can better plan for meeting our demands. Now, what happened with our grid, <clears throat> wind dropped off, and you've got to keep the grid charged. You have to keep a load in the lines. And when that load gets too low, you're going to trip power plants, thermal power plants, the ones that we count on. And that load, late Sunday night, early Monday morning, our demand got too high as temperatures dropped. People's thermostats started kicking on, turning on their heaters and you had actual thermal power plants get tripped and shut down and that just exacerbated the problem making things worse uh, and it, ERCOT essentially fell asleep at the wheel they should have caught this late sunday night started implementing rolling blackouts for 30 minutes at a time and now what's happening is some cases you have people that have no power for 30 hours 
uh, at a time. Already 10 deaths reported because of the temperatures. Uh, this is just unacceptable. I'm glad to see the governor has called this an emergency item. Uh, if it weren't for this weather event, this would not have been a priority, although we've been essentially uh, writing and talking about this to our elected officials for years at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. So the timing is good in that aspect. Uh, I just hope our Texans can stay safe. Oh yeah, on the subject of the grid, I know it sounds like a term and people are just, you have a picture, a, vis a visual of it, uh, like it's something up in the sky, kind of like a big spider web all connected, but what is the grid really? It, it's a series of, I mean, we Texans pride ourselves and have our own grid, I think. But can you, what is it exactly? It's a we do it and just kind of think of it as a spider web interconnected where if you lose generation in one point and then they take it down for maintenance, then you can pick up in other points. And the ones that are best responsible, that can best respond to demand increases is natural gas and our clean coal technology here in Texas. Wind, you're dependent on when the wind blows. Solar, you're dependent on when the sun shines and if the panels aren't covered in dust or snow uh, like they are now. But with natural gas, you can ramp up and ramp down. Nuclear is great baseload, but it's all interconnected like a spider web. And so if you have an outage in one area, you can typically pick up the load unless you're in really high demand periods like you are today. And the grid has uh, come very close to having a complete catastrophic failure. This was yeah. early Monday morning where the entire ERCOT grid almost went down. That means a complete power outage for over 80% of Texans. That came close and it's going to continue to happen likely tonight as demand increases, as temperatures continue to drop. And I think more snow predicted in central Texas today uh, and, and tomorrow. Uh, but these temperatures are going to remain this way throughout the week. And, and so we've just got to bundle up and do the best we can. And then we've got to keep our elected officials accountable to make sure that we're putting reliable, affordable electricity on our grid. I love that. Tell me again what ERCOT stands for. It's, well, I, I think they dropped the R recently. It's the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, um, and we have not <laughs> had any reliability whatsoever. But they really need to add an A for affordable uh, because there's nothing that connects human flourishing more than having access to affordable, reliable electricity. Yeah. Isn't it the case also that even if the um, prior to this current emergency in Texas where we have just this massive freeze and, and all the problems you're describing, energy coming from wind and solar, we're still only comprising, I'm sure you know the numbers, but comprising a, a not particularly significantly large percentage of the total energy needed in Texas. If everything were working perfectly, what is it that the wind and solar, what portion of the energy we need is produced by wind and solar? Uh, it, nationally, it's about 4%. Texas saw about 20% of its electricity last year uh, from wind and solar, which was a record high. Now, keep in mind that they get a priority access to the grid. The cheapest electricity gets access to the grid first and foremost. And when you're so heavily subsidized, and we've seen this happen before in Texas, where wind is actually paying consumers to take their products, because not only do they get subsidies from government, but they get subsidies from virtue signalers uh, like Apple, who buy all these credits so that they can say they're 100% renewable. They're not 100% renewable. They may be paying credits for the electricity that they use so that they can say that, but it's not an entirely accurate claim. When you have cities like Georgetown, Texas, that are now in multi-million dollars worth of debt because of bad contracts, buying wind and solar credits, uh, at three times the cost of natural gas produced electricity now, their citizens are hurting big time and paying the price. When Austin shelves a power plant, uh, they spend over $2 billion on an East Texas power plant that never produced electricity. Their plan was to have this renewable power plant that burns wood waste or, or biomass, wood pellets. Would have been wonderful to have that on the grid right now. And to think that CPS Energy in the city of San Antonio is wanting to shelve with a billion dollars still left in debt payments, the spruce coal plant in San Antonio, which doesn't just feed and provide reliable electricity to San Antonioans, it feeds the entire electric grid. Our state government's got to step in and take these rights away from these cities that are out of control, that are loco control big time, uh, and make sure that we've got reliable, affordable electricity for all Texans. Okay, I didn't know about that coal plant example, but I was going to tell you that I think it's one of the troubling things about energy policy that left that people who are more uh, leftist, more determined to have 
uh, they, they think that there's a magical answer with somehow we're all going to have, you know, uh, wind energy and solar power is going to feed every, provide everything. They're more likely to be advocates and to be vocal with legislators with at, at local levels. And you're talking about San Antonio and the Texas legislature. And people who just function normally and they're used to their lives being comfortable and they don't they they aren't invested in the environmental argument are not there you know g giving the other message to the legislators about we actually want reliable energy more than anything else and we want to have and we're fine with we i mean with clean coal i mean the coal industry has vastly improved their their um their processes. So we're great with clean coal. We want natural gas. We want oil. We want all of it used. It's like the legislators don't have a don't have enough of a um, an organized nucleus of people feeding that message, and it's easier just to kowtow to the environmentalists who keep saying no, supplement more and more. You think that's a fair assessment? No, that's absolutely a fair assessment. People like me are out working and raising families and providing for our families and don't have time to go spend to the legislature all day. And I saw this when I worked and served in the legislature, the people that were there every day, it was like they were getting paid to advocate for things against the benefit of a majority of Texans. And they were advocating against affordable, reliable electricity. They were advocating against coal. Uh, and that, that's unbelievable because we are world leaders when it comes to reducing harmful air pollution. So we are world leaders in clean air here in the United States. We're, we're number one when it comes to access to clean and safe drinking water. Our environment is incredible and economic prosperity and environmental leadership go hand in hand. Over the last four and five years, I've been advocating to our, our previous federal administrations, our current federal administration, that we need to have a Pittsburgh Accord where we call on our trading partners to meet our air quality. Paris Accord will do absolutely nothing and John Kerry has even said that himself. It's too late, it's not gonna do anything. Let's worry about harmful pollution and lifting people out of poverty. And energy, access to energy lifts people out of poverty. When you climb out of poverty, you start to worry about the environment, you clean up your air quality and your water quality and in turn, human health improves. But they're not concerned about that. They're control, concerned about controlling every aspect of our lives, getting rich off it while doing it. Uh, and, and it's just incredibly unfortunate. It really is. And I'm, one thing you said earlier, I meant to follow up on, you talked about this, the uh, way that, that the um, energy industry has been pushing more, the, the leftist side of the aisle, and pushing toward production of energy through solar and wind and other uh, natural ways, which don't have are not sufficient to provide our needs, that there's going to be through, as we watch this socialist march into Washington uh, by the American left, there's going to be a notion that electricity is a right, kind of like food and housing, education, everything else that it is a need is defined as a right. And then there's going to be the basis therefore to regulate the use by, by um, private citizens, because you know, you, you, you're you using too much over here, and if you didn't use this, this guy might have enough. It is yet another avenue toward the shifting our America, our precious country, from the idea of you know our country rooted in liberty and guarantee the, uh, the notion of individuals living in liberty uh, to a just flipped on its head, a government controlled society deciding who can have much, what kind of power and how much. Um, and so the, the, there's a great need to re invigorate the argument for um, all sorts of energy production in Texas and in America. And the other thing I was going to, this is my little soapbox speech, it just is got to be more active. Everyone does in reassuring these things. Um, and so we're talking with Jason Isaac, and I'm so grateful he was available. He is a former state representative. He's the current director of Life Powered at a great organization, Texas Public Policy Foundation. I will in closing and say, I also think this may sound to our listeners all over the country, well, you're just talking about Texas, you know, this is a unique problem there, but the same dynamics are played out in state after state after state where legislators are pushed by the more radical environmental mindset that says we can easily, quickly uh, get rid of coal, even if it's clean coal, we can get rid of nuclear, we can get rid of gas, we can get rid of natural gas, we can go all natural with unreasonable deadlines placed on or unreasonable, uh, we can get there by X year. And all it does, I mean, this is a great microcosm right here of what happens when you take that thinking uh, seriously is that you end up causing people to suffer because we don't have the capacity to produce the energy we need 
based on using the style of energy production that are uh, natural, um, so wind and solar. So uh, you want to comment on that last point? Yeah, I will just say you're right. People have become indoctrinated. They have a different faith than I practice. Theirs is religious alarmism. Mine is Christianity. Uh, and it's unfortunate because they're pessimists. Um, and they think that our world is going to end when it's never been better and our environment has never been better. Access to clean water is something that people strive for every day. And Debbie, I'll leave, this, leave you with this point. Women spend 220 million hours a day walking to collect water around the world and that is oh appalling. my gosh imagine the civic engagement that they could get involved in imagine the businesses that they could start imagine the education that they could further themselves by if we only gave them access to energy and when our current administration steps in and says we're not going to loan money to developing countries unless they're only investing it in renewable energy projects and not fossil fuels those renewable energy projects and our products are not made possible without fossil fuels. And so uh, I, I love it when people say we wanna ban fossil fuels, I say you first. Give me your phone, <laughs> give me your computer. Yeah. Please don't give me the clothing that you're wearing, but the people don't understand the microfibers in our clothes are made with fossil fuels and made possible by fossil fuels. Uh, and it is really a godsend to millions of people around the world. And we've got millions of more that need to reach it so that we can lift them out of poverty. Great closing point. Jason Isaac, thank you so much for being available today. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, Debbie. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thank you, too. Okay, I want to tell you, folks, there was a great video that I, a little uh, comic somebody made, and I didn't get a chance to send it to Matt the Wonderful, but it was a great picture. In Texas, we have all of these windmills and the wind power. So they had a photo of a helicopter in the air, in this, this is a blizzard snowstorm. So it's so cold here that the windmills have frozen. So there's ice caked on the windmills, so they can't spin, so can't produce energy. So the helicopter up in the air, so the helicopter powered by, you know, oil and natural gas and powered by oil, gasoline, that is spraying a product onto this windmill that the product itself is oil-based, made from oil products, trying to free this windmill so it can start spinning again. I mean, the, the amount of energy consumed and uh, you know, healthy, good energy consumed, created by gas, uh, in order to try to spray this stuff onto the windmill. I mean, it was just a picture of the craziness where we are now. So anyway, not just true in Texas, true everywhere in America. More people need to be telling the legislators about the, the desire to have natural, uh, to to not be fanciful, not be you know caught up in, in silly notions about how we can some, somehow power America in the next five years on all natural um, products. And he's exactly right. Jason Isaac is exactly right that the mission, the, the, the thinking behind it is very much on the track of getting America down the path of socialism and away from freedom. We talk more about that, but there's so much going on. First of all, I missed talking to all yesterday. I don't like to miss a day, um, but I've been thinking a lot. I want to hear two more topics today. One was, I, I just called it Trump not guilty, but why? You obviously know if you follow the news at all that President Trump was acquitted a second time. Uh, there he is the one president now to have been impeached twice and in both cases not convicted. So very quickly, the Constitution says the House has the power to bring impeachment. Uh, the Senate has the power to vote whether to remove or not. Senate votes not voted not guilty both times. But I want to talk about why. Why Trump was found not guilty. And obviously, you know that the reason he was charged is because he was, the claim was he, through his language, um, and his continuing to talk about election fraud, even up to January 6th, which was the day of the attack of the Capitol, that the argument was that because President Trump spoke about election fraud and got his followers upset because they believed the election had been stolen, and so therefore Trump was responsible for the violence at the Capitol um, on January 6th, which was the day that the House and Senate met together to do their job and their, their part of the job in the election, which was to receive, and then they, chose, they voted to approve the electors chosen by the Electoral College. So what I want to hit on this is, is a couple of really more serious reasons why Trump was not, why he was found not guilty. Uh, number one, 
um, there was a vote that that uh, before he was the vote happened that said he was not guilty. There was a vote held in the Senate in which the question was, uh, should we so that they had the House managers present their um, their case? Uh, then they had the, the Trump people, but not with witnesses, just presenting their 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 arguments and I guess and, and video. And so then the Trump's defenders, the lawyers, defend they presented their portion. Then the next question became: Should we move to the next phase of whether or not to call witnesses? The Senate first voted yes. Yeah, we're going to call witnesses. That's right, going to call witnesses. Well, Ted Cruz, God bless him, a senator from the great state of Texas, um, weighed in and said, well, gee, you know, we're, we're going to call uh, witnesses. So, you know, he talked, he said, well, you know, probably should start with Nancy Pelosi. He didn't say probably should start. I'm throwing that in to be funny. But he mentioned, of course, Nancy Pelosi uh, certainly should be among the witnesses called because one of the main questions to her is, where in the world was a security? You're in charge, Nancy Pelosi, of the U.S. House. You're in charge of security on the Capitol. What happened? And of course, you likely know there are many, many um, stories now out, statements out saying that numerous efforts were made to get increased security at the Capitol, including Donald Trump suggesting six months earlier, you know, as we get close to the, uh, you know, we should have extra cap, extra security at the Capitol. We had Mark Meadows uh, saying numerous times, President Trump suggested it, and the Capitol, um, the Capitol Police wanted more protection there, but the powers that be said no. So I truly think that Ted Cruz pointing out, you know, if we call Nancy Pelosi, she's going to answer a lot of questions that you're that the left isn't going to like. So that's that was one strategic reason. But what I really uh, about how Trump ended up being uh, ruled not guilty by the Senate, it really has to do with the, the deeper point that the left does not want the American people, does not want the American people to be exploring the question of election fraud. They don't want the American people to be hearing what evidence is available about who was actually in the Capitol, who was part of that invasion on January 6th. Because there were Trump supporters there, crazy to say otherwise, of course there were Trump supporters there. And, they, and many of them have been arrested. And there were left-wing Antifa, Black Lives Matter Marxists, other left-wing anti-Trump forces who also breached the Capitol and entered and committed crimes. And so I think the left was hoping this whole impeachment, they thought the most damage it could do was to have a, an asterisk next to President Trump's name because he was shown to have been the, the first president of American history impeached twice. But when they really began to picture how the American people would get to actually see both sides of the story, and would, would really understand that it wasn't wasn't just uh, Trump people worked up into a frenzy on January 6th. I think they, they were a little bit leery about whether or not they they, they wanted to be the ones who were, um, you know, uh, putting all the evidence up. But I want to hit a couple more points about this because I this is a really challenging time and it melts into my last point for today too, my last topic. All the while, since November 3rd, since Election Day, that more and more conversations happen about election fraud and vote fraud, the answer of the American left has been there no such thing. It is that Democrat media mobs, stock answer, standard answer, uh, you know, and all of the mainstream media, left-wing media sources continually insert an adjective before allegations of election fraud like false, manufactured, disproven, um, you know, um, ba basically just saying that every allegation of election fraud, vote fraud has been tossed and reviewed. And, and so therefore, this is a crazy thing that President Trump kept talking about it. But this gets to the core of it. The reason President Trump kept talking about it was number one, there was massive evidence of election and vote fraud. But number two is because no court in this country would allow that evidence to be examined. No court in this country would allow that evidence to be examined. To have cases go to a court and a judge dismiss the case for lack of standing or for um, latches, you know, brought too late or premature, brought too early, all of the different reasons the courts found to just dismiss these cases without looking at the evidence None of that counts 
for a court looking at the evidence. And so we stand here today, you know, we're into the Biden administration now, and we have all those legal questions unanswered, factual questions unanswered, and you have 75 to 80 million Americans who are saying, how come no one ever is going to look at this? Why is it the left just gets away with this idea that they're just, they're, they're never going to allow discussion of this, uh, of this, of this fraud, never going to allow investigation, and, and we're all supposed to just drop it. And this is why there's so much frustration on the American right. This is why Trump kept talking about it, because he couldn't get the courts to pay attention and any court. Now, to be really clear with you, there are several case, uh, pieces of litigation still pending. I was in a conversation over the weekend understanding there are more pieces of litigation coming trying to challenge vote fraud and election fraud. I cannot urge you strongly enough, if you listen to the show, you know I say this, I urge you very, just as, as strongly as I can, to go to the blog that Patrick Byrne puts out, it's called Deep Capture. Go to deepcapture.com. He's got a five or six part, I think five part series now on why Donald Trump lost the election. You'll find more. And he was heavily involved right in the middle of it all. He can explain to you many, many things. And you need to read it and understand where the where where what actually happened. Things you just don't read anywhere else that didn't get out there. But this is why, you know, so why Trump was acquitted to finish this little segment. He was acquitted because the left suddenly realized wow, we might have witnesses that make us look bad, and we might have witnesses that make the American people say, hey, wait a minute, maybe there was election fraud. And I mean, this is really part of what the um, what the left was concerned about is, what if they start putting on uh, proof uh, of actual election fraud? They didn't want that to happen. And the last thing that's kind of related to this, Nancy Pelosi has announced that she is trying, she's going to initiate, she's introduced the idea of a 9-11 style commission the way we had a commission after the attacks of 9-11, and we had a bipartisan group look into the question of, you know, what happened in 9-11, who was involved, all of that. She wants, Pelosi wants that 9-11 style commission to look into what happened on January 6th, which you would think would be a good thing. You say, yeah, we'd love that. We'd love to know all the different players involved, why Nancy Pelosi declined to get um, any kind of... Um, you know, why she didn't support getting more. She she was among the people, the officials who turned down requests for additional security at the Capitol, said it wasn't needed. Her conduct's very suspicious. But anyway, she's looking at, she's saying now they're going to have this commission. And you, while you think it'd be a good thing, the problem at this point is that so many Americans really are very unsure of trusting our federal government after they watched the way the left pulled off the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax, no consequence for the major players involved, which basically are Hillary Clinton, John Brennan, and a bunch of high-level officials. American people watched all that happen, no legal consequence, and they're now looking at Nancy Pelosi talking about 9-11 style commission for the January 6th event, and I'm sure people are having the same reaction. Why would we trust we, we, you didn't do the right thing last time when a major problem happened? You brought this fraudulent attack on the president and no consequence ever happened. And somehow we're supposed to trust your 9-11 commission, uh, excuse me, your, your January 6th commission. And then the second point on that related to that is until there's a willingness of the federal government to, to appoint a 9-11 style commission to the issue of election fraud in 2020, the issue will not go away. Just like Ted Cruz suggested when he was saying, when he was uh, giving his reasons, his thinking ahead of time, prior to January 6th, he said, why don't we have a commission like they had historically in America in the 1800s to look into this question? And and it was, you know, laughed off. No, can't do that. That's impossible, not doing that. So you had Ted Cruz suggesting that it got laughed away. But that's actually even more than a January 6th commission. We need a, a commission to look at the evidence of what occurred in the 2020 elections. Because until then, you can't really solve the deep-seated suspicion and upset within the Republican Party and the Trump voting base. So Trump was acquitted because the left doesn't want to face the reality of having anyone in America understand 
all of that, what was involved, how, why it was that the powers that be in Washington did not line up sufficient security, uh, what conduct occurred uh, on behalf of officials of both parties that seemed to be um, not doing, at the very least, not doing their job. Um, so he, he's acquitted, he's done. Um, I think what Nancy Pelosi is uh, talking about is a very farcical commission um, that is going to, on January 6th, going to probably be, if she has any control at all, it's going to be a commission that blames everything on Trump and his followers. And I don't think it's going to persuade anybody. But I want to hit one last topic kind of related to this. And this is a really, um, I mean, it's just an amazing time we're living in. I called this last topic, you know, the GOP's Trump predicament. And I want to talk about, say why, i tell you why I say this. I think it's actually just an, uh, it's just an amazing uh, time we live in. So right now, just as one example, um, Mitch McConnell voted to acquit President Trump. So he voted to say, you know, President Trump uh, should be acquitted in this, in the impeachment. But then he went on to give a speech in which he blamed President Trump and said, basically, there's no question Trump was responsible for the riot. So I want to ask Matt the one if I have that one little clip I sent, if he can play that for you. To go. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. Okay, so it's really funny the way we're set up at home. So I don't, I don't have audio, so I couldn't. Um, just hear it, but I, I played it before. I'm the one that sent it to Matt. I'm, I'm going to say a couple things about that. This is the most hypocritical. This is Mitch McConnell, who would not give any credence to election fraud brushes it off, he did it in that statement also, brushes it off and, and talking about oh, Trump as though he's, you know, positing irrational theories about election fraud. And the thing is, he, McConnell, wants to continue to lead the Republican Party in the Senate. So he's saying, I'm a Republican leader, 75 to 80 million Americans just voted for Trump. They know that there was a problem. They know that he, I mean, the Trump voters believe he won. Um, I believe President Trump won. I, I think there was massive fraud. You can't get anyone to look into the fraud. And yet he wants to say, I want to be the leader. I quitted Trump, aren't I a good guy? But on the other hand, I would like to uh, blame him for what happened. And the big blame he's putting on Trump is because Trump kept talking about election fraud. And he, McConnell, is trying to say, hey, no such thing. Is he, what's he talking about? Even Lindsey Graham warned Mitch McConnell um, that his speech slamming Trump was going to be problematic. But we want to talk about this segment, though, is what the GOP does um, going forward. Because I'll tell you, on the one hand, um, you have voices like, you know, alleged um, you know, voices or knowledgeable people like Britt Hume. Um, I'm not saying he's any big, big um, I don't think he's particularly insightful, but... He is big Fox News senior political analyst, and he said something the other day that sounds exactly like what I think the Republican Party thinks they can do. Britt Hume said the GOP should move away from Trump without alienating his supporters. And I'm going to tell you people, that is like insane. That, that's an insane level comment. He wants to, Britt Hume is saying the GOP to move forward should distance itself from Trump but keep all his supporters happy. And that's not one of their choices. They don't have that choice. I am not saying that Trump should run again in 2024. I'm not saying he should run at all. I am saying that what President Trump 
what candidate Trump and then President Trump did. He reignited in the American people the notion that you have the right to be expect to be respected by the government. You have the right. You are we the people. We the people are sovereign. The purpose of government is to look out for your needs, to put the needs of the American people first, the American citizens, the America first agenda. So you protect the border. So you protect the American people by keeping the military well funded, well, you know, well trained well-paid, strong, ready to defend us. You defend the military, defend the border. You bring jobs back. All of the renewal of the spirit of America is what Trump brought to the GOP. And he brought it to a GOP that had no similar leadership in I don't know how long, probably since Reagan. So you have the GOP voters and many former non-voters and even Democrat voters who said, I kind of like this message. I like this message that we are going to have someone listening to us. So Trump did that. He just, I mean, massive popularity. Even if you say you think Biden won in, in votes and in, in, in absolute numbers or in electoral college, that, that, that was a fair election. Trump still had whatever it was, 12 million more voters this time in 2020 they had in 2016. The point is the GOP cannot move forward while ignoring the Trump agenda. They can't move forward. They can't move forward and hold on to this newly energized base, these Trump voters, without embracing the Trump agenda and standing up for it. And this is a GOP's real problem. It's not just that they wish they could get rid of Trump and silence him and go back to business as usual. They cannot. The establishment Republicans, the McConnell, the whole slew of the establishment Republicans in Washington cannot move forward under the Trump agenda because it ruins everything they do. It ruins their plans. The GOP in Washington, the ruling class, swamp dwelling, ruling elite, uniparty Republicans, can not embrace the Trump agenda. It's not enough for them to push Trump aside and say, okay, out, 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 you're out of the party now. You're, you're not one of us. They cannot figure out how to move forward and hold on to Trump voters, Trump supporters, because those Trump supporters, they want the Trump agenda. They want the party to begin to act like a party that defends them, that listens to them. This is what the Trump voters want. They can't have Brit Hume's delirious idiocy of somehow the GOP is going to move away from Trump, but not alienate supporters. The GOP needs to recognize that the Washington, the Republican Party needs to recognize they're either going the way of the dinosaurs, going the way of the Whig Party, or they're going to massively reorient themselves around the Trump agenda. Those are the two viable choices the Republican Party has. Die, which it may do, or embrace the Trump agenda and try to move forward. And this means massive changes in the Republican Party. It means the Republican Party does what Trump did. Talk to the voters, listen to the voters, then actually work on the agenda to make the lives of the American voters better by not sending jobs over to China, by not creating a, a Washington more responsive and amenable to the demands of the lobbyists than it is to the American people. So the Republicans have a real uh, issue. And I'll tell you something, there was a poll, I, I was kind of mind blown by it, but a, um, a poll done, this was not done at CPAC. This is an actual legitimate morning consult Politico poll. So Politico being a leftist, and I think morning consult claims are on the right. I don't really know who they are, but in any case, a poll, a, a serious large poll done um, in which people were asked essentially, who would you most like to support for president in 2024? Republican voters, who would you like to support? So here's the answer. Uh, Donald Trump, 53% of polled Republicans. So they want Donald Trump. I'm not urging Trump to run in 2024, but I'm telling you this pipe dream that the Republicans have of somehow moving forward and having any, any legs any any momentum, any power, any base without the Trump agenda is silly, ludicrous. Actually, you could say insane. But back to the poll. Donald Trump, 53%. Mike Pence, 12 I can't believe he even got that percent. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., 6%. And um, Nikki Haley, 6 Pompeo, 2 uh, So you have the combination of Trump and his political allies. Trump and his political allies. 
among Republicans polled got 73% of the vote. So I don't think somebody like Mitt Romney um, or, you know, um, Tom Cotton or any of the other people thinking they're going to run, especially when they are seen as anti-Trump. These people have no prayer. And the, and the question is, how soon do they wake up? How soon do they wake up and figure out what they're going to do to re-energize the party and how they're going to embrace the Trump agenda and their plans moving forward? So one last thing I will tell you on this very subject, um, many, many conversations happening about what President Trump could do uh, moving forward. There is a lot of thought of the idea that, you know, within the Republican Party, the activists, or not just the activists, grassroots, but the Republican voters, this idea, and I, I should interrupt myself. So you know how there have been recently people talking about how these kind of anti-Trump Republicans are going to stomp off and make their own party. You know, the, the never Trumpers, the, the, you know, just kind of the the people who have just been a thorn in Trump's side, the Republicans, but a thorn in Trump's side, the Mitt Romneys, all those type people. They're the ones that need to leave the party. They're the ones that do not stand for what the Republican Party stands for. The massive core of Republicans in this country who supported President Trump, they want a party that supports that agenda. So they, this large, massive majority of Republicans in America, they own the Republican agenda if they'll only take hold of it, if they'll only take charge. The Mitt Romneys, Susan Collins, and all these anti-American Republican leftists need to go find their own party and they can make up some goofball party they want and they can go the way the dinosaurs and the Whig party themselves because the Republican Party can be re-energized to be a victorious party, but they've got to give up on all of their past alliances with the Uniparty, their swamp dwelling, and, and the people in Washington won't do that, but the voters, the, the massive million, um, 80 million base of Republicans in this country, they can push their party in that direction. So looping back to how I started the show today, because I, I tell you, people ask me all the time, what can I do? What should I do? One answer, be an activist. Let your voice be heard in your Republican party, wherever you are. Because the Republicans in Washington need to figure out that Britt Hume is insane and that the idea of moving the Republican Party forward while ignoring the Republican base and the Trump agenda has no future. It's idiocy. We have the power. We, the ones who, the patriots who love this country, who want to have an America rooted in the ideas of America, we have the power to do that. If we're activists, starting at the ground level, precinct chair level, county park chair level, city council, mayor, governor, state senators, state representatives, U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate, all of those places where activists can place their, can, can be active, can put their people in charge, that's the place for us to be active in the next two years, to claim, to reclaim our country, to pull it back from the, the brink, and it was past the brink, it's kind of already over the cliff, we're trying to pull it back up onto solid ground, over back up the cliff and onto solid ground. That's our job. Our job is to be activists and insist that what the Trump agenda was, was the America agenda. The Trump agenda was the agenda of America. And we activists can insist that our party, that the GOP is going to become that party Whatever role Trump or does Trump does or does not have, lots of discussions about things he could be doing. He could be backing candidates. He could be creating an alternative to all the social media outlets that censor conservatives. He could do many things. Apparently, many things being mold. But he is going to be active, I believe, in the future of America. And the idea of the Republican Party, if they, they either better listen. Or better recognize there's not going to be a base there on whose votes they can ever rely. The, the base that got energized by love of America and all of the great ideas that President Trump bought America first, strong national security, strong borders, strong economy, freedom and free markets and rejection of socialism, rejection of all of the leftist ugliness has taken over this country, rejection of socialism and Marxism and communism. That's the real America. Those people are the vast majority in the Republican Party. Our job is to take charge of it. 
And I think we can do that. So we'll be talking more about this in other shows. Well, as I do, first of all, I want to thank you for listening in to this less than, it's, it's, I love my studio. I have to say, I love my studio. I'm doing this from home and I'm grateful that we could, again, thank you to uh, Real News PR and Real News Communication Networks and Matt the Wonderful for doing this from home. Uh, which isn't easy for anybody, but I'm very, very grateful uh, that you tuned in today to this show I'm doing from home, and we'll be doing from home uh, Wednesday and Thursday also. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So, we start our show. I think Matt the Wonderful has these, and I believe he has these. Yes, he does. Okay. So, Matt the Wonderful, very first top three Patriot agenda items. Number one, stop HR1 at all costs. Call, write, email, text your opposition to your representatives and senators. Make sure everybody understands this bill legitimizes and perpetuates voting fraud, mail-in ballot fraud, voter registration fraud, and every other conceivable form of election and vote fraud. Number two, stop amnesty. Actually, with number one, push election integrity in your state. Number two, stop amnesty. 11 million new citizens? Americans have never supported mass amnesty for people illegally in the U.S. Americans did not vote for mass amnesty in November 2020. Ruling against the will of the people must stop. And number three, find MAGA agenda candidates now. Every elected office matters. School board, city council, county commissioners, on up. We get the government we deserve. So fight for the ones who will fight for our agenda. And on Trump, not guilty, but why? Acquittal hysteria and January 6th commission ignore the elephant in the room. There has been no honest, thorough investigation of election fraud in November 2020, and that's what's causing unrest in America. Procedural dismissals of lawsuits are not investigations. Attorney General Barr's backhanded dismissal was not backed up by actual investigation. I mean, it was just a, I don't want to have to deal with this, so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, dismiss it. Mainstream media demand to say the words, the election was not stolen, is also not an investigation. Cruz demand to call Pelosi as a witness. What, when did she know about the Capitol threats caused a very quick Democrat capitulation? No witnesses, followed by a Senate acquittal. Effective January 6th was to stop all inquiries into election fraud, but not on the basis of an investigation and results, but on the basis of hysterical calls to shut up which is pretty much the last message on this. Dow Slinger, January 6th was purpose, purposeful, but whose purpose? And find the GOP's Trump predicament. No one denies that Trump received 74 million plus votes, 12 million more than 2016. Our view, the vast majority of those 74 million don't love Trump as much as they love the MAGA agenda and what it was doing for their lives. Polls say that agenda remains popular and Trump remains his most visible proponent. But the GOP ruling class cannot combine hatred of Trump with convincing embrace of the MAGA agenda because they hate both. And MAGA voters are awake to this reality. That's why there is unprecedented talk of a new political party, a new with new MAGA candidates. And that's why McCarthy and Graham are scrambling with how to keep Trump loyal to the GOP. They've been trying to do that, talking to Trump about how to stay loyal to the GOP. Major upheaval likely lies ahead. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear